And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation that I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right, so so many people in life sit around and they say, I'm waiting for the right time. The right time never comes, people. It's a pretty well-known fact amongst people that know that fact because they don't sit around and wait for stuff. And we're going to talk about what are you waiting for today? And that's a really broad topic. So you're probably wondering where we're going. So stick around. We'll talk all about it. And then you too will know. Now, before we get too far into this, quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. That's my company, people. If you listen regularly, you already know that. Go to Fullscale.io, go to the Get Started page, fill out a couple questions. We'll get back with you and let you know if we can help you solve your problems when it comes to building a team of developers. And with me today, I'm really excited because I've got another amazing company from our top New Orleans startup list in 2022. With me today, I've got Shelby Sanderford. She is the founder and CEO of DocPace. Straight out of New Orleans, or do they say New Orleans? I'm not, I haven't got that right yet, but I'm trying. But New Orleans, yeah. Louisiana. Shelby, welcome to Startup Hustle. New Orleans, baby. There <laughs> yeah. we go. There we go. <laughs> Matt, thank well, you so much for having me here today. I'm excited for this conversation. I am too. And you know, one thing I forgot is if you want to learn more about Shelby's company, you can go to DocPace. It's D-O-C-P-A-C-E.com. You know, it's even easier. Just scroll down to the show notes and click the link. Now, I, you know, I like to start my conversations with a little bit, you know, every good story has the backstory. So Shelby, what's your backstory? And I would just love to tell you that. So uh, this all started actually when I was working in the hospital administrative setting and really ex being exposed to a lot of the internal pain points that hospitals, doctors, administration, patients face on a day-to-day -day basis when trying to receive uh, the care that they need. And that's this, this pain point of having a really stellar experience and uh, ultimately high patient satisfaction scores. And after hearing some of the challenges and, and pain points that um, all of these players kind of face, I became quite frustrated that there wasn't an easier answer and solution that existed out there in the market um, and ultimately became very determined to eliminate wait time for uh, doctor's appointments and ultimately eliminate the need for waiting rooms. So that's what we're doing over here at DocPace. 
Well, it's, it's no real secret that um, maybe the entire planet is often frustrated with the user experience associated with medical visits, doctors. And, you know, I kind of get a, I get a view of both sides of it because my sister, and I've only got one sibling, so we know each other pretty well. And her husband, they're both doctors. And, you know, like, and now here's the thing, doctors are frustrated with it too. It's not always the doctor that's like, you know what, maybe if I just made Shelby wait a little longer in the waiting room, (laughs) she would be happier with her visit said no doctor, you know, now, you know, on the flip side of that, it's a, you know, they're, and I would imagine these last couple of years have been even more trying because you've got an overload and a lot of different stuff. So, I mean, when it comes to like solving a problem this big, where do you start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just brought up a great point. And, you know, doctors certainly do feel that frustration quite a bit because oftentimes it's the perception of management that oh, well, the doctor is taking so long and they're the ones actually creating this problem and and the reason why patients end up waiting in the waiting room. Um, But what we've been able to discover at DocPace through analyzing millions and millions of data points is that actually the root cause of what's happening here is the way that scheduling is done in healthcare is just not designed properly for appointment cycles. So as a patient, you know, when you go to a doctor's appointment, you really go through a journey to see your, your healthcare <clears throat> provider, whether that's from the time you check in and have to do paperwork and payment and insurance to this intake phase where you have to meet with a, a nurse and complete maybe some pre-tests. This all has to be done before you can see the provider. Well, our traditional scheduling model that's used in healthcare um, really is what's creating these inefficiencies and misalignment for all of these events to happen so that the patient is actually ready on time for the provider. So what we've found is actually what's happening is even though patients spend 15 billion minutes waiting in a waiting room each year, the doctors actually lose 10 to 20% of their potential patient time. So they actually could be with the patient if all of these inefficiencies were sorted out. You know, it's funny because I started the episode with the what are you waiting for? And like kind of and 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 as you know, I'd like to make fun of myself along the way because I I clearly had a different context because my my production team's really clever with the title. So what are you waiting for? You are waiting for the right time still, people. And that's actually like a myth that people am waiting for the right time to start a business, to go back to school, to get a different job. But in this case, you're waiting for a different reason. now, I actually have some expertise in this in this in this area because you mentioned scheduling and the scheduling model, and I'm the founder of Gigabook, and you know this is online scheduling software, and what we built was a as a a fully customizable platform. Like we build it for the people that don't have an industry specific platform. Like mm-hmm. now with that, the, you know, for those of you listening, there's that people look at like making an appointment or putting something on and off a calendar as this really straightforward thing. Like, Oh, it should be so easy. 10 o'clock. And you put it on the calendar. That part is not hard. It's the 10 million things that can, could, and should, or might need to occur in association with that. Like, you look at anyone, whether it's a doctor, so you have notifications, reminders, uh, documentation, uh, collection of info and data, payments, invoices, follow-ups, surveys. Like, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Now, you know, as someone that builds software, the more thing you it, just because you stack another layer of technology on something doesn't mean it just got a little bit harder. It becomes very exponential. 
So like eight levels deep of complexity is not just eight times harder. It's like 64 times harder. And so have patience as a patient in some regards, because the technology is growing and I love what I'm seeing. You know, I've, I've done a couple episodes on this with the, you know, just like the things that kind of make things faster, everything from doctor's notes or, or any of that. Now, you know, DocPace has a predictive data-driven tool that allows health practitioners to run a high volume practice and deliver value and care and, you know, focuses on scheduling efficiency. And then, you know, now that's a, a short statement with a big task. And, you know, so I'm curious, like, what are some of the things that, as you've built this that have been the bigger challenges or maybe that kind of like I mentioned with the calendar, it's like, seems simple. And you're like, oh, wow, this is a, little, a lot more than I thought. Yeah. And that's, you know, when I first started this, it's honestly what I was thinking because it's like, it seems like such a simple problem to solve, right? Like so many people sit there in a doctor's office and they're like, why am I waiting here? Like what, what is the problem here? Why Um, am I filling these forms again as a big one too, right? Right. Exactly. And then you really dig into it and it's like, wow, this is a very complex problem. That's very dynamic and there's a lot of different things that have to line up and happen in order for a patient and a doctor to end up in an exam room together at the same time. Um, so what DocPace is doing in the background is using the existing schedule information um, and then applying artificial intelligence and automation in order to pace those appointment cycles so that the providers can see more patients and the patients don't have to wait. So actually, you know, ends up being really a win-win for everyone in this situation. So as you go to approach this and like, you know, there, you, there's traditional approaches to solving problems, which clearly haven't worked in this case, or we wouldn't be in 2022 with the same problem that people complained about and different stuff. So what did you, like, what's the... was this a kind of a straightforward approach of, okay, we need to just make things better, faster, cheaper, like make the assembly line run a little smoother? Or did you have to take a disruptive approach and be like, you know what, we're going to just break this whole thing. So we're forced to rebuild it. It's definitely been an iterative process and, you know, the, our actual solution and the way that we deliver it has evolved over uh, the course of gosh, the past seven years since I, I did start this. Um, And I think that's like one of the really important mindsets, in my opinion, of the entrepreneur trying to take on a problem like this is being open minded about what the solution does look like. So, you know, through this process, we've learned a ton from all of the different players and people involved and, you know, how a solution like this would fit seamlessly into their day. Because I think that's the other really important thing to note here especially in healthcare, is it has to be so easy and seamless and honestly kind of not disruptive um, so that you can have that adoption and just work it into your your workflow and the process throughout the day. So um, at the same time that it is very disruptive, it also is not at the same time because a lot of it is so automated and just kind of happening in the background. Um, all right. So I think reasonable question here. You're, you're an MBA, not a doctor. What made you want to solve medical solutions? <laughs> That's a great question. So I definitely always thought I wanted to be a doctor. 
that was like, if you asked me when I was younger, what I wanted to be when I grow up, I would have definitely told you um, a doctor. And then that became a PA while I was in undergrad. Um, and so that was my path. That's what I was. What I was is is that physician's path. assistant? Is that PA? Yes. yes. Okay, okay, okay. Exactly. Okay. Um, and just through some of my coursework work, I landed in a, a, a healthcare administration class and learned more about, you know, the regulatory and business side of healthcare. And that's really what kind of shifted my whole uh, trajectory there and really got me interested in trying to solve some of these deeper root causes that are happening in our healthcare system today. Yeah. So sometimes the best solutions are found by people that aren't staring them in the face, you know, all the time, every day, because it takes a, you know, a fresh set of eyes and it, it does, it does present some other challenges at the same time, because you theoretically, you know, people experiencing the problem often have the best input. So as you've built a, a team and, you know, and grown the company a little bit, where, where have you, complimented your uh, lack of exposure or experience, or maybe even just some of the things you're not good at to, you know, where have you brought in and brought in other people or kind of shored up the, you know, the, the spots of, or maybe even just stuff you didn't want to do. I think that's one of the really beautiful things about this experience and trying to start something from nothing is that really that, almost like naive and experienced uh, headspace is what I believe kind of drives you to be able to do it because I often reflect back and I'm like, wow, if I really knew like what I was getting myself into seven, eight years ago, like, you know, maybe you would think differently about it. Um, Famous last words but, from founders in many days, right? Yeah, but you just get so like, for me, I was just so passionate about finding the solution to this problem, because I realized how big of a pain point it is for so many people. And also just so curious of why it doesn't exist. Why isn't there something? Why hasn't someone else figured this out so far? And I think when you combine that with persistence, you just, you know, you just keep going and going until you can ultimately make it work and and figure it out. Now, you know, that's the mindset of the the leader and driving the team and, and the force. But um, I certainly have to surround myself with all of the people who fill in the the space that are my weaknesses and the things that I don't know and don't have the expertise in. And so um, I have uh, spent a lot of time to surround myself with the right people and bring the right people onto our team that I believe will, uh, you know, get us to the place we're trying to go. Yeah, that's. Uh, um, was this your first business? It just is this the first time, first lap as an entrepreneur or founder? A little bit. So I started a nonprofit when I was in high school, um, and hosted a big fundraiser. But yes, this first for profit business. What What's something that you know we we enjoy we the the mission statement of Startup Hustle four years and eight hundred episodes later has been to tell the real story of entrepreneurship. And I, I'm just a, you know, I'm always on my, I, I turned 47 this year. So I'm kind of like transitioning into like semi angry old man or something like, 
you know, you, you might find me this summer shaking my fist on the lawn at entrepreneurship or something, you know, uh, get off my lawn, entrepreneurship. Uh, I, I feel that some, some days. And by the way, they were making fun of me the other day because I, I was talking about buying a, a chain, wanting to buy a chain to hang my glasses around my neck. So the struggle is real. But, you know, there, there was a lot of things that uh, I've learned along the way about being a founder and being an entrepreneur, mainly the main thesis is it's a lot harder than people think, you know, people think the entrepreneur, the business owner just goes home at night, empties a bag of cash on the bed and rolls around in it. And that's not how it works. You know, like what, what was something, what was one of the things that you found as a startup founder, that was a, that you're kind of that one of those, wow, this is this, I did not think it was going to be this hard. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, I have certainly had plenty of those moments. I think in, you know, every founder's shoes, they have those setbacks and challenges and things that you just have to face and be like, wow, this is really not what I was expecting to pop up. And, uh, you know, I think it's the the mental toughness and resiliency that ultimately gets you through those situations. So for me, I try and look at it and through all the setbacks and challenges and obstacles and roadblocks and things that we've hit in this process, I just have to look at them and say, okay, what's the lesson that's being taught here? There's something from this that I can learn and walk away with and use somewhere down in the future. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next month, may not be next year, but at some point, it'll probably come up and be helpful. What's that piece of information I can take that's a positive out of this situation? And then move on, go to the next thing and continue forward. Um, and for me, that has certainly helped me a lot. And after that, you have to kind of have those reset moments where you just stop and say, okay, let me remind myself, why am I doing this? What's the why here? And if that why is the winner, and strong enough, then you keep going. You just keep doing it. I, I think you, you had a key, you, you had a real important word, which is passion. And, you know, at this point, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours and episodes and conversations later, I think one thing that has stood out, and I say this a lot, and it, because it's true and people need to know, if you're not passionate about the business or the solution, that you're trying to build or find, you're probably not going to find it. And I say that because think, well, if it's, if it's something really worth doing a big task, a big thing. And as an entrepreneur, I really like to encourage people to try to build something bigger than themselves. Cause that's actually building something. That's when you build a business, not just a job. And the thing that I've learned is that if, and, you know, being an investor an entrepreneur, a podcast host an author and, just a chaser of knowledge is that I don't ever really talk to high achieving people that aren't super passionate about it. And that's because all the unworthy quit on the way in and, you know, and this is tough and like entrepreneurship challenges so many things. And, um, you know, we, and I was joking the other, the other day, cause we went and saw Elton John here in Kansas city. And, I told my wife, I was like, he looks younger than me. And she's like, yeah, he's not an entrepreneur though. He kind of is, but I thought that was kind of funny because this way really will age you. And it's, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot of responsibility that comes in. And, um, you know, I think also as an entrepreneur and a, a first lap around is there's so many 
Well, there's so many one-time tasks. I think one of the things with starting a new business is people don't realize how many things you just have to do one time to like get the business even set up, you know, and then, mm -hmm. and that can be really distracting, you know, and it's, it's, it can take a lot out of you, you know, cause it gets you away from where your head needs to be to build the business or find mm -hmm. the solution. And I want to talk a little bit more about those solutions. Now, you know, as a quick reminder, I'm, I'm having a conversation today with Shelby Sanderford and she is the founder and CEO of one of startup hustles, top new Orleans startups. If you want to hear that whole episode, it's titled Top New Orleans Startups. So uh, we've got a, a small class and a small group of, of folks down there doing some really amazing stuff. I've already had some really cool conversations with some other folks uh, you know, from, from that group. So once again, congratulations on that, Shelby. Now, before we continue our conversation, another reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We help you build a team of software developers. There are 350,000 open IT jobs in the U.S. right now, and we can't fill them. That means you're going to have a hard time building a development team, and we can help you with that. And that's actually kind of what I want to talk about for a second, because um, <clears throat> you have different rules uh, in healthcare, meaning like HIPAA, and there's a lot of data stuff that you have to deal with. <clears throat> um, you know, what, what, is that a challenge? It certainly, you know, was a, a task and a whole component of this that we had to figure out. Um, now we've, you know, had wonderful resources and counsel and, and people who have uh, helped us through that process, but sure, there was a ton that we had to, you know, nail down and figure out. And especially with implementing a tech solution, in healthcare, um, you know, I think what has happened in healthcare and it's finally is catching up to speed, um, at least in, in my opinion, that for so long, healthcare was just like five steps behind every other industry. Um, and really a lot of that was because of the challenges of the regulatory environment. And I think now it's kind of gotten to the place where these changes that need to be implemented in healthcare really aren't a luxury. They're more of a necessity. Like we have to make these changes if we want to keep up with the need of the patient, the, of the patient population. So I've definitely seen a bigger shift in all of that, but, um, and there's more and more resources becoming available of all of the guidelines and things to follow and what you have to do to maintain HIPAA compliance and, um, all this stuff now. So that is very helpful. Yeah. And you know, I mentioned uh, the experience with Gigabook. We don't do medical. I don't want to store the data. You know, it's like, it really does. And, and so, you know, it's, I, I get calls a lot because people are like, Hey, you know, my, my cousin's a hairstylist and I think she might want to use Gigabook. And I literally, I'll be like, no, don't tell her to go use one of the platforms that's made specifically for that. Cause there are some, you know, and that's, and, and that's, I think, where you've seen software evolve. And, you know, I look back, you have a scheduling platform. I always joke about one of my biggest fails. I, you know, Gigabook and Calendly came out around similar times and they embraced freemium. And at the time we were like, why would we want to give this away for free? We know now 
because uh, you know that's a four billion dollar company and uh, uh, with Calendly, and you know they did they did really well with that. But there's a simplicity to their solution as well. So now without anyone can use it, but it doesn't have the customization or like with your case, like specific use case for medical providers and doctors. But with that, there's a, I gotta I gotta feel like there's that's a whole nother spider web and rabbit hole to jump down. Is it a challenge? Is your solution made like? Is it kind of like an out of the box? Like any doctor can use it, or does it have to have different builds, iterations, or like onboarding approaches to you know for like a, a, a foot doctor? Is that a podiatrist? A, you know, a podiatrist as opposed to a heart surgeon probably have, like where, where is, how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's a great question. And without getting too technical here. Um, so how it does work. You can get technical if you want. Yeah. Yeah. We've been known to do that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> with the existing scheduling platforms of the doctor's offices okay. so that we can seamlessly, you know, fit in, we can get a practice set up in less than 24 hours. So there is that component there. Um, but just more generally speaking, we are specialty agnostic. So the, the system was designed to work across all specialties and not uh, really be confined to one specific one. And that's really in the, the adaptability and flexibility of the, the technology. But at the top there, we so can integrate. Yeah, but but then but then that's a different issue. So the simplicity of one solution reveals the complexity of another one, which is integrating with other people's stuff. And you know that's like really like the modern thing. You know, I see and and you know what kind of like the the truth and the data here is about as uh, accurate as you know one of those memes that you know is quoting Abraham Lincoln's latest tweet or something you know cuz who knows but you see all these things are like the average marketing company uses 8 million different platforms but it's kind of true you know i know that cuz i mean i might oh my god there's you know a zillion subscriptions that i have across 225 employees and then building software both for the platforms we own as well as for clients. Like, I mean, there is literally an, like you could have a massive team of people that just worked on integrating your software with other things and they'd never hit bottom, you know, like it's really that many. And there are tools out there that help with that. But once again, another thing that just isn't straightforward and it's not, it's not super easy. So, okay. Different, different subject. And I like, I have some notes here. So I'm, I'm being encouraged to ask you if you agree with the hurry up and fail mindset. Um, okay, let's see. I would say I'm definitely all about experiment, learn quick, adapt, and move on to the next thing. So I think it aligns pretty closely with that <laughs> mentality okay. of, of hurry up and, and fail fast. So I think in this startup space and trying to get something up and going, you do have to try a lot of things, figure out what works, what doesn't work and try and do that as quickly as possible. Um, I think in each of those situations, like I was kind of hinting at earlier is there is something to be learned and something that can be leveraged in some way, shape or form. Um, but then, you know, you adapt and pivot and keep going. So, Perfect example of this was for us um, when the pandemic hit, we used to provide our solution on hardware. So we gave doctor's offices iPads to run everything on. 
And, um, you know, as soon as, gosh, around March time of 2020, we just had this realization of, wow, we need to completely move away from the hardware component. Um, and we were able to transform our entire solution and product and get it out into the market by May of 2020, which was pretty uh, impressive turnaround time there for a, a small but mighty team. So I think that's a great example of a situation where we just, you know, learned from what was happening in the environment and in the industry and the world and how could we adapt and pivot and fit and make it an easier, more seamless solution for our users. So those of you listening obviously can't see Shelby, but I can. So I'll ask, I see some stands behind you that look like a tablet would have fit in them. Is that what the, is that the remnants of that? Spot on. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, every, every, by the way, most businesses and entrepreneurs have, uh, have a boneyard of past somethings, you know, like I, uh, and, and I just got reminded of mine cause I had to clean out a storage shed that I had for way too long. And it was like a blast down. The, it was a blast from the past. I was like, Whoa, wow. And, and, and I used to own a ticket brokerage too. So I found all kinds of weird stuff like Justin Bieber, Christmas ornaments and, you know, now that was a treasure. That was a, that was a, you know, that was a treasure to find. I almost called Justin Bieber a national treasure, even though he's Canadian. So, you know, <laughs> that it's a good point. Um, now, now with, okay. So, you know, I've talked to so many founders that have, uh, if you have a heart, if your software has to work with hardware, especially custom hardware, iPads may be a little more predictable, but if you have like an actual like thing, that has to have software in it and communicate with something else. You have two products you're building, not just one. Um, did the move away from the iPads or anything like that, did that simplify stuff mm -hmm. for you? Did that make, make it a little easier? Exactly. Yeah. So it ended up being, you know, a, a huge blessing in disguise, even though we had to go through that rather quick transition <laughs> and pivot. Um, now, you know, you're absolutely right. You have to then manage this whole component of the hardware and get it set up and have, you know, folks who can troubleshoot it and fix it. And it's a whole nother <laughs> component of the business and having it all be web-based and really more of that traditional SaaS model um, has certainly helped streamline things and in, in that capacity. So, you know, uh, on, on the flip side, uh, a flip side of that too, in some cases, if you get away from the hardware, now you have to maybe build something that is compatible with a lot of different devices, phones, tablets, uh, operating systems. And, you know, we've learned this through, gosh, I don't even know where to start, but people are like, you know, they reach out on a software platform and they're like, I, my, this isn't working properly. So you get through the regular troubleshooting. You're like, what version of iOS are you using? And they're like six. You know, it's like nine versions ago and you're like, okay, so let's start by you updating to something modern. And they're like, well, I haven't gotten a new, I'm on iPhone six or something. And you know, here's the thing, like, this is real people. Like, this is the way it goes when you build software and hardware solutions. Like you really can't predict, oh, how do I say this nicely? Um, where, where people's technology, where your users technological shortfalls may exist. That was, yeah, that was as nice as I can say that. There you go. I like threw my arms up in the air. Like I won something there. Cause I, you know, I realized I could go the wrong, 
I could go the wrong place with that. Okay, so it's definitely, let's say- it's definitely not the thing you you think about. It's like okay, and then it has to work on Google Chrome and Safari and Firefox and this, that, and the other. And, it's and like- thank God they got rid of Internet Explorer because developers everywhere would hear Internet Explorer and go and hide. They would like run away. They're like, I quit. Safari's kind of the same way, honestly. Like. My wife always uses Safari. I'm like, you're the last one, Jill. You are the last one, maybe. So, okay. So let's let's talk about something a little more serious here. So my, my sister is an anesthesiologist and she kind of jokes a lot because she feels that being a female in healthcare is, has some challenges and some stuff. And, you know, like she walks in a lot and they're like, nurse, nurse, you know, and, and it's, it, you know, it's just something that's kind of, she brushes off at this point, but you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of, uh, of discussion and very, and deservedly so about the challenge of, of female founders. And, you know, we don't talk about raising capital much of often, so we're going to not get into that, but have you, has that, have you found that to be a challenge or had some times when you're like, wow, I shouldn't have to climb over this. You don't have to throw anyone under the bus. I'm just, curious if that if that feels like you know these situations have impacted you yeah i mean it's a great question and certain certainly you know a relevant one and one that is talked about frequently now um which i think will you know hopefully help shift a little bit of this narrative but for me it's how i just look at you know how i my perception of the situation and the way that i try and think about it um and that is what ultimately helps me in the situations where I do feel maybe I'm not being treated in the same way that someone uh, would treat, you know, a a male equivalent in my shoes. But, um, you know, for me, I really try and look at it and say, well, this could be just as much of a benefit and a positive. Um, You know, it, maybe I stand out, maybe I'm the only female in the room. Maybe that makes me more memorable. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways that you can shift the perception there and tell the narrative in a more positive light. And for me and, and the way that I kind of approach it all, that just really helps my mindset about everything. Um, that's not to say it's easy to do. <laughs> uh, definitely takes work and, you know, mental toughness to be in those situations and not get crushed and crumbled and brought down. So Um, there's certainly a lot of work to be done there, but I think it definitely helps me to try and see, well, how can it be just as much a positive, um, and empower those situations? I want to point out to our listeners that I think that you have the right attitude for an entrepreneur in general. Like we've talked about failures, challenges, sexism, you know, just like a lot of stuff. And the the thing is, is like, you can, you know, all right. So as a business owner, what's in the rear view mirror is in the rear view mirror. You either learn from it in the future and you don't hit the same ops. You don't hit the same thing in the road next time. Uh, If you spend your time just looking in the rear view mirror, you don't see what's coming in front of you. And then also like, I don't know, man, like people are just kind of dumb sometimes, man, like with the way that they treat others, it's unfair, it's uncool and it's unneeded. 
But that said, those aren't always things you can control. So if you want to let it eat you up, you're kind of playing into the haters, the haters, you know, magnet there. You're getting sucked mm-hmm. in. And you know, my sisters have, you know, as a doctor, she's like, they know she's the doctor. And they're like, can you go get a male doctor? I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Like, I wouldn't react to that very well. I'm not very good mm-hmm. with those situations. So sometimes you got to bite your lip and sometimes you don't. So, uh, all right. So once again, you go ahead. I was just going to say you, you pointed out something I think that's really important and especially in the founder shoes on this journey is there are so many things that happen that are out of your control. And I think those are the things that can get you caught up and, you know, down or maybe even like wanting to stop and not keep pushing and trying. And if you can shift the focus and attention to, well, there's just as many things that are in my control. And if I focus on those things and I'm taking positive steps and going in the right direction and taking action. Um, so, you know, we can't, we can't control the things that, that aren't in our control, like someone else's opinions and perception on a situation or the way that they, uh, you know, maybe speak to someone, but you can control how you perceive that information, what you take away from it, what your actions are and how you move forward with it. So for me, that's a big, yeah, and that's, a big I mean, guider that's, in that's my the life. Most, that's the most, it's a most productive outcome and way to look at that. And, you know, I haven't had to deal with, I, I, this, with a lot of the challenges that many of my guests, my minority founders, female founders, and just members of, of, you know, just, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of challenges for a lot of people. So first off, be respectful of other people's situations, you know, like, uh, you know, it's it, it, the, it, in most of the time you're being rude to people that are trying to help you folks. So don't, you know, the best way to get help is to make it easy for people to help you. And, um, I actually, I, I, I woke up and opened Facebook this morning and I saw it reminding me of saying that a year ago. Cause I get frustrated with people. Cause you know, a lot of times with the role that I'm in either at full scale or being an investor, being a known entrepreneur and people want their, Hey, I'd really love to get some help. And then you offer to help them and they make it really difficult for you to help them. And it's like, you're sitting there going, man, I got a million other things I can do right now. You know, I really do. And you're making it a challenge for me to do you a favor. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want people to help, you make it easy to help. And, you know, that's going to help us. Well, you know what you can help me with? We can answer the question. Do you actually see a timer? I do. Yes. So for those of you talking, for those of you listening, we were, I, I, I do a little spiel on the way to hitting record. And one of it is like, uh, one of it's like, hey, when you see this amount of time, no, I'm probably getting close to ending the episode. And then I realized there was no timer. And she asked, is there a time? Do I see a timer? I said, that's a great question. I've never been the guest. So we're just solving problems left and right today, shall we? Left and right. Now, part of why I needed to know the timer is because, you know, we aim for a specific length of the show. And it's also time for the Founders Freestyle. Now, before we jump into that, today's episode, once again, was brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Go to the Get Started page, Fullscale.io. It takes two minutes to answer the questions, and we will get back with you about whether or not we can help. So, 
you know, with, with everything we have gone through and talked about today, there's a lot of things that we often leave out. And that's what the Founders Freestyle exists for, is allowing us to catch up. It's how I end my episodes. I say my episodes, I'm not the only host. Make sure you tune in weekly with Andrew Morgans, talking all about e-commerce and Amazon, and Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her weekly shows for a long time now. So you probably know that, but if you don't, great content there. So um, Shelby, as we wrap up today's episode, is there anything that you didn't get to mention or things that stood out that you found helpful from our conversation? Oh, I absolutely enjoyed this conversation and and thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me and, and explore some of these uh, you know, topics and topics that aren't always easy topics to to talk about um so i I certainly appreciate bringing attention to them um one one thought that i do have uh you know for for those listening and and for you as well matt is to really think about what are you waiting for i think doc pace is a really good example of you know you might think you understand um what the problem is but if you dig a little bit deeper and look a little bit harder, there's actually a totally different problem um, or challenge down underneath. And I think a lot of times in the in the founder's shoes, uh, it's the thing that, or I'm sorry, in, in, the, in the dreamers and the people who have these ideas and they think of something completely brilliant and wanna get started, but don't know where to start. Um, I want you to, ch- I wanna challenge you to really think about what are you waiting for and dig a little deeper uh, because oftentimes if you just start and get going on the path, then uh, the things that are deeper underneath there will unfold and you can, um, you know, chase that dream that you're after. So I wanted to share that little piece of advice. If you're you're thinking of an idea or have something you want to explore that you've been curious about or passionate about, uh, you know, just take one step and do something to learn a little bit more about it. And along the way, um, you'll discover. Jump it. and build wings, people, right? So, in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, which, by the way, you can get on Kindle for a buck 99. That's the cheapest that Amazon will let me sell it because I don't really care about the revenue from the book. I care about the fact that it's my manual for helping you people ask me all the time like, how do you do so much stuff you have the podcast you have this you have full scale you do this you do that two kids you know well first off i have great supporting staff and my wife deserves so much of the credit for clearing the path for me but you know and and in my book balance me i talk about the right time myth so we kind of went you know we kind of forked into two different things like what are you waiting for in the in the patient uh waiting room and also what are you waiting mm-hmm. for as an entrepreneur. Now, when I say the right time myth, if you find yourself saying these words, it's not the right time, that's actually you just giving yourself justification for why you're not doing what you really want to or should be doing. Now, there are very few instances and some do make, in fact, make sense when it might not be the right time, but that's not usually the context. Like, you know, if I'm talking like if you just came out of uh, open heart surgery and you're in the middle of cardiac rehab, you might not want to start a business right now, like heal yourself up. But if you're telling yourself it's not the right time for this, it's not the right time for that. Know that that is 
usually an excuse because uh, you're telling you're giving yourself a safety net. And so justification is when you give yourself an excuse, reason or a why for why you're not doing what you feel you could or should. So uh, it really is a myth. Now there isn't, and the reason it's a myth is there's not a perfect time. There's not a perfect time to make major life changes. It's not the right time to have a kid. It's not the right time to, to buy a house. Like ask yourself why, you know, are you using that as an excuse? Cause you know, and I say sometimes you do just have to jump and then build wings. You know, there's that, that's the, the, the take on a leap of faith or, or however you want to look at it. But making big change is big. It's a big thing and people don't like change. So it's going to, it's going to feel abrasive. It's going to feel rocky. It's going to feel rough and it's going to feel stressful. But there's something that when I say jump and then build wings, just make sure you have the stuff to build the wings before you leap. And if you do, there's something about the impending doom of hitting the canyon floor that will make you build those wings pretty fast. So, but really that's it. I mean, and that's, and you know, no one has a, if you do have a functioning working crystal ball, call me because I have yet to meet anyone that does. So no one really knows what's going to happen. You just got to get in there and you got to be resilient. You have to have a positive attitude. And in my spare time recently, I've been studying what makes people perform at a high level, what makes people do genius things. And I have yet to find any indication that any people that really do genius stuff are negative. They believe that they can do it or they believe that they can at least have enough belief in themselves to keep on failing quickly because it gets them closer. They don't look at a failure as a fail. They're, oh, I'm one, I'm hopefully one step closer to the, to the not fail. And that's the whole mentality there. But really, in the end, I, I mean, I've talked to so many high performing people and they all believe that they can. And they all are. We, look, we're all scared. At one point, all of us as entrepreneurs, we had we had fear. Some of us learned how to deal with it better than others. Some of us learned how to not deal with it. And they are stressed out business owners or they quit. But it's part of the game. So, you know what playing field you're getting on. And if you don't think it's the right one for you then perhaps don't jump and build wings. You know, it's, it's okay, but it's not for everyone. So anyway, that's my, uh, that's my, uh, my short uh, tirade on why you should go out and do it. I mean, Nike says it best people just do it. So I'm going to go do that. Shelby, thanks for joining me and folks go click the link in the show notes for doc pace. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.